Christian greetings to all of you, brothers and sisters. In the name of our coming Lord, should not that fact make a difference in our lives today and in the coming days? Now, you might have seen on the calendar that Ella Speary was to be here this morning. But because of the snowstorm last weekend, uh, me and him switched. So he stayed at home last Sunday and, and preached for me at Pike, and I stayed at home this Sunday and preached for him. So here we are. I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and now we come to the end of chapter 4, where we break right in to a very exciting set of verses that are no doubt the main topic of this epistle. And that topic is the coming of the Lord, and obviously the second coming of the Lord. And so I've chosen that for the title this morning, The Coming of the Lord. That phrase or similar wording is used uh, throughout this epistle. Uh, just, just note here, these, ver- these various places, uh, the fact is that it is mentioned, the coming of the Lord is mentioned in every chapter of this epistle, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it, it's, it implies that this is something that, that the Apostle Paul preached about earlier when he was there, something that he was, he was passionate about and wanted to instruct the people in there. Uh, but note in, in chapter 1, verse 10, uh, to wait for his son from heaven, to wait for his son from heaven. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Uh, chapter 3, Verse 13, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then obviously here in chapter 4, verse 15, speaks there of the coming of the Lord. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, obviously, uh, a theme here that's flowing through the book of 1 Thessalonians, something that was a, a main topic as he was writing. Now, the coming of the Lord is a subject that is mentioned in almost every book of the New Testament. And it's interesting to note that since 1 Thessalonians is commonly considered to be uh, the earliest writing in the New Testament... Uh, with Revelation being the last, we could say that the New Testament begins and ends with this message. Jesus is coming again. It's a theme that flows throughout from beginning to end. There in Revelation 22, verse 20, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. And perhaps there's no better way to start off a new year than to focus our minds once again on the certain return of Christ and what that means to us and how that should affect our everyday life. You see, the fact is that Jesus is coming again. The question is, are you ready? 
And the sobering truth is that he's coming again, ready or not. He's coming again. Reminds me of years ago when we used to play hide and seek, and, and they would, the itter, the itter would, would count, and everyone would run hide, and when they got to wherever the number was, they would, said, they would say, coming, ready or not. And nothing was stopping them. They were coming. It doesn't matter if you had found your spot or not. There was no stopping. Well, Jesus is coming again, ready or not, and that's the sobering truth that we must ponder. Now, before we read this passage, I would like to point out a word or a form of a word here that is used six times in these, these verses. And by the way, our text is going to be uh, chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 11. But there's a, a word or form of word that is used uh, in these verses some six times, and that is sleep or asleep. Now, it's one of those words that in the English... Uh, appears to be the same, it looks the same, uh, but in the Greek it really has two different meanings. And so in order for us to properly understand the thrust of this passage, it's good for us to understand what this word means. Uh, It's an important word uh, for several reasons. First of all, this word highlights or or it brings to light the issue uh, that the young church there at Thessalonia or I'm sorry, Thessalonica, was struggling with at that time. It brings to light this issue that was going on, and we'll look at that in a little bit. And therefore, it brings to light. That's why the Apostle Paul then was writing this epistle about the Lord's coming. That was why this subject was coming out so strongly here. And so here in chapter 4, in these last few verses, we notice it three times. Uh, Let's see here. Verse 13, asleep. Verse 14, sleep. Uh, Verse 15, at the end, asleep. And now that word in the Greek is koimeo, which means to decease or to be dead. It's, it's, It's simply talking about people who have physically died, okay? People who have died, okay? And then we move over into chapter 5 here. And note another reason that this word is is very important. And here, the word sleep speaks of a spiritual condition or a state of being. Or you could say an attitude, an attitude about life. And here, it's also three times. Uh, Let's note here um, verse 6, therefore let us not sleep. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep. In the night, uh, uh, that's well. Actually, there's another one there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Two sleeps. Um, verse ten. Wake or sleep. There, there it is again. And that word in the Greek is kafudo, which means to lie down, to rest, or or to fall asleep. In other words, taking a nap or 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 taking easy, resting. It's it's that it's that idea in those. So, I believe that's helpful sometimes for us to look at know the meanings of the words. Know what's really behind them to give us a proper understanding of what we're looking at. Let us now read this, starting at chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when ye shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. It's interesting to note, too, that those, uh, those two little sets of verses, they both end with comfort one another, comfort yourselves, encourage one another. Uh, and, it, and it speaks of the fact that this church here at Thessalonica was grieving. They were struggling. They were, they were failing to understand these things, these truths, of God and the Apostle Paul was, was trying to instruct them in what was right and what they had to look forward to and to know that this was not a loss, but they should be comforted. Okay, so let's talk about the issue here. Uh, it appears that the church at Thessalonica was, was in turmoil about this thing of Christ's return. Now, certainly the Apostle Paul had preached to them about the Lord's coming And they were expecting this event to happen very soon. Very soon. Uh, You know, these were young believers. They were very excited about this. They had perhaps a limited knowledge of the Word of God and things of God. And so the Apostle Paul had taught them about the coming of the Lord. And they were saying, oh yeah, this is going to happen really soon. And they were all excited about this. And that's all well and good. That's great. But since Paul had started the church just a year or so before and then left... Here some of the members of this church had passed away. And so now the speculation was among those that were living that, oh no, they missed it. Now they died and, and, and Jesus will come back and they're not here anymore. This was, this was a, a tragedy that they had died too early before Christ came back. And it seems to be a turmoil that was happening in this young church. Well... When Paul heard this news from Timothy, you remember he had sent Timothy to see how they were doing. And Timothy came back, gave the report to Paul, and then I guess Timothy probably shared some of this with him. When Paul heard this news, he wrote back right away to assure them of the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, he assured them that those who have already died are not going to miss out at all. In fact, they really have one up on us in more ways than one. Now, if perhaps you have been to the funeral of an unbeliever, you've heard the sentiment, oh, they're in a better place now, and la, 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 and all that, all that type of thing. And that's, that's, commonly, that's commonly said, that sentiment is commonly heard 
in, in funerals in the world. But behind, and those words might sound nice and perhaps give a little bit of comfort to some people, but the truth is behind those words, there is no firm expectation beyond this life. There, there's nothing there. There's no foundation there. And so the grief that those families are experiencing is a very deep grief, not only because they have to suffer the pain of, of going without someone that they dearly loved, but they don't have any hope. There's no hope. It's like all done, game over. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? No hope, completely no hope. Dear Christians, we have a powerful hope. Those of us who know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we have a powerful hope. It's a hope that is firmly grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul lays that foundation here in verse 14 where he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It's kind of like he's laying that foundation and then he's building his instruction off of that. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, therefore all this will be okay. This will happen. And so we, this morning, have a hope that is alive and well. Our faith is not in vain. The Christian has no fear of dying because Jesus died and rose again. That's the basis for it. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sometime later, the Apostle Paul explained these same truths to the church there at Corinth. And I'd like to note a few of these because they, they come, come across so powerfully. 1 Corinthians 15, um, starting at verse... For sake of time, we'll, we'll drop down here to verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Okay? There, there we have it. That, that would answer the... That, that was what the church at Thessalonica was struggling with. You know, if Christ, if Christ is not raised, then yeah, you're right. Those that, that have, have died already, I mean, you have no hope there, yeah. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept? We'll stop there. Instruction on, on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that is the foundation then for us experiencing life after death. It's something that we can build our hope in. Our hope is firmly planted in the fact that Jesus Christ has defeated death. He is not in the grave. He is a living king and therefore one day we will live as well after this body passes away. And so this is something that the church there at Thessalonica needed to hear. No, uh, your faith is not in vain, but Christ has risen and you have hope for the future. You know, we sing of this powerful truth when we sing the song, uh, Had Christ that once was slain, ne'er burst his three-day prison, our faith had been in vain, but now is Christ arisen. And the uh, second verse says, My flesh in hope shall rest and for a season slumber, till Trump from east to west shall wake the dead in number. Verse 3, death's flood hath lost its chill. Since Jesus crossed the river, lover of souls, 
From ill my passing soul deliver. Had Christ that once was slain never burst his three-day prison, our faith had been in vain, but now is Christ arisen. Therefore, our faith is not in vain. But it's, it's built on that foundation of Jesus' death and resurrection. So now as we look into this passage a bit more, uh, let's note here nine important truths about the coming of the Lord that should bring comfort and joy to our hearts and help prepare us for the future. First of all, the spirits of sleeping Christians are with Christ now. The spirits of sleeping Christians, or or those who have gone before, their spirits are with Christ now. Uh, We note that here in verses 14 and 15. Now, we believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. And we believe that Jesus will return with the dead in Christ. They will come with him. And so, if God will bring with Jesus those who have gone before, then it's a given that they are with him now. Uh, You just put the two and two together. If God's going to bring them along with him, it implies that they are with him now. They are with him now. You know, some groups teach uh, this, this thing called soul sleep. In other words, believers who have died... Uh, They're not in heaven right now. Uh, They are simply in the grave waiting until that time of resurrection. Uh, And then at that time, they're going to wake up. (laughs) But but until then, they're just sort of in the grave waiting. They're sort of in a deep slumber, in a deep sleep, known as soul sleep. Uh, The truth is, that is not consistent with Scripture. Uh, That is not the truth. The Apostle Paul made it clear more times than once that when we die, we will be instantly in the presence of Christ. And we'll be fully aware of it. It'll be a conscious presence. Uh, there is no in-between. It's, you're either here or you're there. there. There's not this intermediate state where you're sort of halfway there and halfway not. Uh, he said in Philippians 1.23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He was was stuck between the two, the two choices, he said. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, 7, and 8, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay, We're we're here in in the physical, we're at home in the body, but we're, we're not in the presence of God. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Just making it clear once again that that there is is no in-between. Either we are here or we're there. But the souls of sleeping Christians, those who have gone before, the souls of them are with Christ now. Secondly, then, I notice that uh, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Verse 16. Christ will return by descending from heaven. And the teaching that Jesus will come in the clouds is one that that starts way back in the book of Daniel where we read that he saw a vision and in that vision he saw one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. None other than Jesus Christ here. But he saw him coming in the clouds of heaven and then Jesus referred to this prophecy different times. Uh, once, he, once he talked about that to his disciples. Another time he spoke to the high priest about that same, uh, that same prophecy. There at his trial he spoke that to the high priest which 
created quite a stir. And then after Jesus' ascension, the angels, those two angels there said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Rising up through the clouds, uh, remember, the clouds received him out of their sight, and once again he's going to return in the clouds of heaven. And then finally we read in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so, amen. So one day the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The scripture says, in the clouds, what a day that will be. Thirdly, then, I note that Christ will come with great glory. Verse 16, Christ will come with great glory. When Jesus returns, it will be no secret. It won't happen quietly. Uh, This verse makes it very clear that, that this event will be very noticeable. It will be very glorious. I note these three things here. Verse 16 says that he'll descend from heaven with a shout or with a, with a loud command, I believe the NIV translates it, with a loud command. Uh, that's that word, the Greek word, kaluma. And I find that very exciting because that is the only time in the New Testament that that particular word is used. The only time when it speaks here of Jesus coming with a shout, with a loud command. Uh, that word, it's almost like it was reserved for something super special, the coming of Jesus Christ. Very special and significant. But that Greek word, kaluma, is, is a cry of excitement. It's a cry of urging on. I read that it was that same word, that uh, it was that encouragement that sailors would give to each other when they, when they all together, with one shout, would put their oars and go for it. You know, all like a team, you know, with one shout, all right, brothers, you know, that, that type of thing. Uh, A cry of encouragement, a cry of urging on. That's the shout uh, that will be coming when the Lord descends. Uh, This word also refers to a uh, a military signal or a military command. When Christ returns, he will come with a shout as the conquering king, the one who is in command, the one who is in control. Uh, The verse also says that He will come with the voice of an archangel. Now, I I don't know what all that means. Uh, In Jude, we read about uh, Michael, who is listed as one of the archangels. Not exactly sure what all is is implied there with coming with the voice of an archangel. However, we do know, and we'll notice this just a little bit later, that when Jesus returns, he he will bring with him all the saints who have gone before as well as the whole army of angels. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a huge, powerful number that will come with him. And so perhaps that goes along with coming with the voice of an archangel. Perhaps Michael will assist him in that great shout or blast of the trumpet. We're not sure. Note also in verse 16, uh, with the trump of God, he will come with the trump of God. That, when, I, when I think about that trumpet, 
uh, it sends it sends shivers down my spine, sort of. And, and I think I can't help but think about uh, the trumpet solo in the Handel's Messiah uh, that is used to describe that that piece. It, it's a it's a powerful thing that as the as the Handel's Messiah goes on and tells the story and tells the story and tells the story and it gets towards that part where we where it talks about the return of Christ and then that trumpet solo uh, comes through. It's overwhelming at times, um, and, and perhaps we will hear something similar to that. Who knows? But with the trump of God, I understand that trumpets uh, were used in battle uh, to signal war commands, perhaps similar to the bugles uh, that were used in the American Civil War, but they gave commands, they, they, uh, they trumpeted commands, you could say. They were also used to announce great events or perhaps announce rulers, uh, that were coming through town. But one of my favorite places in Scripture that talks about that trumpet there is in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all... What she, excuse me. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then fourthly, I note here another truth from this passage is that Christ will come with all his holy ones. Speaking back about who will be along with him when he comes. Verse 14, we note that even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Christ will come with all his holy ones. Uh, Now this is going to be a sight that you don't want to miss, I'm sure. Uh, The scripture says that Jesus will return with all the believers who have once died, and with all the angels. Uh, Zechariah 14, verse 5 says, And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And Jude 1, 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Is that not fascinating that what we we think is so many, many years ago, yet there was a man that was only the seventh from Adam that prophesied of the second coming of Christ (laughs) and knew it in somewhat of detail? I find that very fascinating. We sometimes think that those people back then, they were so handicapped because they had so little compared to what we have. And yet sometimes I wonder if we're not more handicapped than we think we are. But Enoch had, a, had an insight on the coming of Christ. No doubt it will be a glorious day for sure when all the saints return with him as well as uh, that army of angels You know, on that day when Jesus returns and brings with them all who have died, their bodies will be resurrected and reunited with their spirits. Wouldn't it be, can you imagine standing in the graveyard when that great event happens? To see the spirits of those who have passed away coming back and being reunited with their bodies, and that change taking place, and the shouting, and, 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 the, and the recognition of, of faces, and, and all that would be happening there. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. 
But once again, if you look at verse 14, alongside uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52, uh, there we have here that even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And in 51 and 52 of 1 Corinthians 15, we read where we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. It's, it's, that, it's that change that will take place. Spirits coming, bodies meeting, <laughs> new people going. <laughs> you know, uh, the blind songwriter, Fanny Crosby, of all people, penned these words, uh, the words to the song, change in the twinkling of an eye. You know, what did she know about seeing? But when he, this is what she wrote. When he comes in the clouds descending, and they who loved him here, from their grave shall awake and praise him with joy and not with fear. When the body and the soul are united and clothed no more to die, what a shouting there will be when each other's face we see changed in the twinkling of an eye. Yes. Let's note another important truth here, and that is in verse 17. Christ will gather all his people together. Christ will gather all his people together. Not only will the dead in Christ be reunited with their bodies, but all the Christians who are still alive here on earth will be caught up together with them. In fact, this event is is commonly known as the rapture, the rapture. And that term, rapture, does come, uh, I think, uh, well, this, this term caught up in the Greek uh, has to do with being seized, being snatched away kind of quickly. And then in the Latin, uh, raptus, uh, the, the Latin seize is raptus, where we get our word rapture. But yeah, this, 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 caught, this gathering together and caught up is commonly referred to as the rapture. Now, the scripture refers to a time uh, when Christ will gather all his people together. And, and as it is with scripture, scripture speaks about itself and clarifies itself and, and, and so forth. And so this whole, this whole thing of Christ's second coming is prophesied and spoke about all through Scripture, and this is another one of those places. Uh, but Jesus spoke about this in Mark 13, 26 and 27 when he said, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost parts of heaven. A great gathering together. You see, the resurrection of the dead, and the rapture are closely linked in the Apostle Paul's mind, in his writing. Those events are closely linked, if not nearly simultaneously in his writings. And his explanation of this was meant to bring comfort and to bring joy to the hearts of those grieving uh, members there at the church that were thinking, Oh no, they died too quick, or, or, or Jesus didn't come fast enough, or, or just to clear up that whole situation. The Apostle Paul was saying, look, these things are going to happen, bang, bang, you know, basically simultaneously when Jesus comes again. And then he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is meant to be a comfort to you, to help you in this. Well, let's move along here. Another truth is, is moving into uh, chapter 5, and that is the day of the Lord will come suddenly. 
The day of the Lord will come suddenly. We note that in the first several verses there. But the Bible makes it clear that there will be no further warning. That the warnings, at some point the warnings will be over with and the event's going to happen. At some point there will be no further warning. Christ will come suddenly. Now, we may know, of course, the general time of His coming or the, or the general season of His coming, which, which we believe we are living in those days. We believe we are living in the latter days. But certainly we don't know the exact time. And, and you're well aware that there have been many people over the years who have tried to nail down the exact time and have been proved wrong every time. But it appears that Paul is recalling Jesus' own teaching when he compares his coming to that of a thief in the night, Jesus spoke about the same thing. He, he, he gave different stories about, about a thief coming and, and, you know, the strong man of the house would have been there. You know, if he would have been there, it wouldn't have happened. But, but he wasn't there, and so the thief came and all that stuff. And so Paul and different of the, the apostles pick up on this and then write about how Christ's coming will be like a thief in the night. It will happen abruptly. Uh, you won't be expecting it. I mean, it'll be at a time when you're not thinking about it. And so, with that in mind, be on your guard. Be vigilant. In Revelation 16, 15, we read, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In other words, we need to stay clothed spiritually. I think somewhere Jesus said, it might have been in Mark or Luke, I can't remember. He said, you need to, have, you need to be dressed and your light's burning. <laughs> you, know, you need to have your, your spiritual clothes on. Be ready. Be ready to go. Because when I come, you won't have time to get ready. So, so live ready and have your light burning. And he talked of, gave the parable about the, the ten virgins. And the, those who were ready, those who had oil and those whose lights were burning, they were, they were taken in. They were ready to go. But those who weren't, It was too late to prepare. The door was shut. And so, yes, the Lord will come suddenly. The day of the Lord will come suddenly. We must be living in a state of readiness. Another truth I note here is in verse 3 of chapter 5. Christ's coming will bring sudden judgment upon the wicked. Christ's coming will bring sudden judgment upon the wicked. You know, people will be commenting, I'm I'm guessing, and according to what, what Paul wrote here, People will be commenting on how peaceful it is today, or this, this, you know, this new government has been such a blessing, perhaps, and it's so peaceful anymore, and, and, and I feel safer than I used to, maybe, and, and life is good, and let's just kick back and take it easy, and go down to Florida and lay on the beach, and just, you know, and then boom, just like that, in a time when they're not thinking, Christ will return. And the, and the judgment and the wrath of God will be poured out on wickedness. There will be no more opportunity to be saved. Time will be ended. The door will be shut. I'm reminded of the rich fool who Jesus spoke about. And here was a man who who had much, and and he had so much that he said, look, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build greater, you know, and I'm going to fill those things up, and then I'm going to sit back and say, Take it easy, buddy. You have done so well. You have worked so hard. You, you did all this. Good job. And just pamper himself and, and just really live it up. 
And Jesus said, thou fool, this night your life will be required of you. This night. I say that Christ's coming will bring sudden judgment upon the wicked. You know, Paul compares the coming of Christ uh, to the onset of labor pains. Now, certainly I've never felt labor pains, but I have seen <laughs> labor pains. And, um, you know, I realize that when, when a baby decides to come, a baby just decides to come. And, and if you haven't got ready, it's too late to get ready. The baby's going to come. And uh, I re- remember our last one in particular where uh, it's only by the grace of God. Her name isn't Chevy Express or something. But, <laughs> but, um, but I, I, think I, I think I remember then thinking about the time and from the time we left home until the time little Molly was born. And, and I'm not joking here or stretching. It was like 12 minutes. Um, it was too close for comfort, you could say. There was no, we couldn't say, okay, hey, I need to run by Walmart and get a few more baby diapers and blah, you know. Nuh-uh. The baby is coming, you know. If you haven't got ready now, you won't get ready. And so Paul takes that and, and, and compares that to the coming of Christ, that it's going to happen, and if you're going to prepare, you need to prepare now because when he comes, he comes, and, and there will be no more getting ready. There's so many verses in Scripture that we could look at. I'll refer to this one in Luke chapter 17, where, where Christ, he, he refers to the times of Noah, when people were eating and drinking and they were marrying, they were giving in marriage, and, and all of a sudden, boom, they didn't know. They weren't, they weren't keeping up with the times. Christ came. Destruction came. He also mentions the time of Lot there in Sodom and Gomorrah when once again people were eating and drinking and, and, and marrying and they were sowing and planting and building and they were doing all these things. They were just going on with life. And that's great. I mean, that's a part of life. We're supposed to do that. But Christ came or God came and brought swift destruction. Now, were they doing something wrong as far as their daily activities? Well, maybe not. They were, they were simply doing life, and we do those things too. We do those things too. But the truth is, they were not doing those things. They were not living in such a way as to be saved. <laughs> they were living for self. They were not living for God. And so when God came back, they were thinking about self, not God, and they were not prepared, and there was swift destruction. Once again, the fact is, Jesus is coming again. The question is, are you ready? That's the question. Another truth we note here in verses 4 through 8 is that we must remain awake and self-controlled. We must remain awake and self-controlled. Okay, so we believe that Jesus is coming again. These verses then speak about the effect that that knowledge should have on us. So if we believe that Jesus is coming again, what does that mean? How does that affect the way we live? How does, does that affect the choices you make? Does that affect uh, the friends that you make? Does that affect the business dealings that you do? Does that affect what you buy? I, the list could go on and on. Are we living in light of the knowledge that Jesus is coming again? And when we are, then it shows that we are, we are being alert. We are being sober. We are thinking wisely. We are, we are using discernment. 
to help us grasp this, the Apostle Paul, he paints two contrasting pictures here in verses 5 through 8. Verse 5, he has the children of the light and the children of the day. And then he has those that are of the night and those of darkness. There's that contrast. Uh, Verse 6, we have another contrasting picture here. There's those that sleep, and it refers to those who are living carelessly, those who are living carefree. There's those, and then there's those who watch and are sober. Once again, a contrast, two different groups of people. And then verse 7 gives us some details about those children of the night. Verse 8 speaks about the children of the day. Once again, a contrast in conduct. A contrast in conduct. In other words, our knowledge of the fact that Jesus is coming again will affect our behavior. It will affect our conduct, the way we live our life. Sober or self-controlled is said to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness, free from excess passion, rashness, confusion, but to be well-balanced, self-controlled, to be calm and collected in spirit, temperate, circumspect. That's what the New Testament speaks of when it says sober or self-controlled. And then the words watch or be alert has to do with being in constant readiness, Uh, be on your guard, be vigilant, keep your eyes open, be discerning, be discerning. Perhaps that's one that, that we could do better in at times. Be discerning. You know, in today's world, we cannot be too careful about what we look at, what we think about. We cannot be too careful in those things. Uh, and a very important part of living in light of Christ's return is saying no to the things that stand between me and God. Saying no to those things that that want to hinder my relationship with him. Saying no to those things that tend to darken my mind and heart instead of bring light to my mind and heart. The scripture says to keep or to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And so I ask you, are you awake spiritually or are you sleepy? Are you alert Are you exercising self-control? Are you just kind of enjoying a carefree life? And I hope you're enjoying life, but you understand what I'm saying in that that regard. Once again, Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. Or or that word means stays awake. (laughs) Blessed are those who stay awake. Well, lastly, then, I note that believers are destined for salvation, not wrath. Believers are destined for salvation, not wrath. You see, were it not for the love and mercy of God, our future would be, would be a picture of everlasting punishment, eternal death, uh, experiencing the wrath of God. That is the the future for those who have not accepted him as Lord and Savior. 
were it not for the love and mercy of God, uh, that would be the picture of our lives as well in the future. But for those of us who have given our hearts to God, for those of us who are, who are striving to walk worthy, then, then we have much to look forward to. We have nothing to fear. But the wrath of God is not our destiny. Instead, our destiny is, is salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. What, what a comfort. What a joy as we, as we look forward to that. And it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul then ended this group of verses by saying, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another as also you do. <laughs> keep it up. In other words, keep keeping on. Encourage one another to stay in this way, uh, to walk in his ways. Well, praise God for this hope. <laughs> praise God for this living hope. It's a hope in the coming of our Lord. And that hope is rooted and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we serve a living Savior. And because of that, one day we shall live eternally as well. Of course, that eternal life begins here and now as we commit our lives to Him.